I'm Joe Piroli. I'm Luan Thomas. We're writers on Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Cobra Kai Companion. Companion. Welcome back to another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter. And I am Brianna. And we're back with another interview. Uh, Very exciting, you guys. We got to speak with Joe Pirulli and Luan Thomas, uh, the writers from Cobra Kai. Yes, it was so much fun. It's my first official interview. Um, I I don't know that I would consider what I did with the big three and Ralph and Billy to be an interview that was more fangirl flailing. I mean, you asked a question and they answered. That's an interview if I've ever heard one, no? Okay, technically, maybe. This was the first one I was really prepared for. That, okay, that's that's fair. That's fair because we, we tried to map out some of these questions and how we wanted to talk uh, to, to them about about their work, you know, in Cobra Kai. Uh, they definitely were very generous with their time because um, before we recorded, they said, you know, about an hour-ish, and we ran like an hour and a half. Uh, that's excluding the, the kind of the prep time before we even uh, started going live. Right, and I could have kept going. Every, every time they would answer a question, I thought of another one. Same, um, yeah. I mean, when you're when you're talking to the men responsible for Quiver, the glory of love, and no mercy, there's a lot of things that come up. There is, and, and you know what? Going live, there's an added pressure to it too. Like, there's a couple, more than a couple points where I kind of like lost my train of thought when it came to questions because they're just so well spoken and they're giving you like 100 percent and then some 150 percent of what you're even asking, and so that like leads you into other tangents and other questions and it's like well you want to go back to something that you asked like two questions ago <laughs> you know so it, yeah it was it was hard it was hard yeah and i i thought about halfway through i thought of a fantastic question about the school fight and i'll be damned if i can remember what it was because i never asked it um and i completely lost it because we went on to something else so yeah i mean there was there was one point that um i really wanted to kind of just basically give them like a big old pat on the back because glory of love i guess i kind of briefly briefly touched on it just tonally like it it's all it gave you all the feels every single bit of one of them and and no mercy same thing all the feels laugh cry shaking your head you want to shout at the screen and kudos to you know the the, the framing of the the elevator scene too it could have been as simple as like a, a a shot pulled back where you see both of them in the frame Instead, it kind of pans from left to right, kind of forcing the audience to be like, say something, you know, kind of like what you said. So I really liked you saying that and pointing it out. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, what other reaction are you going to have? But right. these two are the ones, you know, at the number one show in the world in, what, 72 hours? Pretty Plus, impressive. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and... Everyone that's now hanging on for season three and desperate for it, well, what we're hanging on are the words that these two wrote. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty amazing. It's very amazing. Um, so this is our conversation.
So for those that don't know, we have joining us today uh, Cobra Kai writers Joe Pierulli and Luan Thomas. Greetings, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Hang hey. on a second. Hey, I gotta, thanks for having us. I've got to fix something. I don't know what I did. Fix it, Brianna. Yeah. So while you're okay. fixing that, can I can I just go ahead and continue? Yes, go okay. for it. I just first uh, I want to congratulate you guys for being part of this amazing show, number one in the world, baby. We did it. There was never any doubt, was there? No, no, no not no. at all. You know, everyone's just two two years late, but you know, it's it's fine. Yeah. We're all here. We're all together, uh, sharing it. But um, did did you guys do anything to like celebrate? You know, we I I think separately we did something. I'm in yeah. I'm in New Jersey actually, and Luan's in L.A. So we kind of took like our our day off from uh, from doing any writing and anything like that, and just like had some fun. Uh, did some drinking and yeah, had a nice little. I had a nice scotch and uh, you know a little bit. It's nice. It's just it's it's, it's nice that everybody's enjoying it. It's yeah. just yeah. yeah, we've always wanted people to enjoy it. Now a lot of people are enjoying it. <laughs> oh sure, you guys must be really proud. Yeah, um, good. Brianna, you wanna you wanna start with something? I kind of already asked about that. Um, hang on. Okay. Well, while I'm she's still, I'm still getting, I'm still getting the thing set up right in the window. It's all messed up. Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luan wasn't even on the screen for a second there. So, um, as long as, long as people can hear us. Uh, yes. so why don't you guys um, start off with like, you know, when, when did you guys decide to become a writer? Did you always want to be a writer? Was acting ever a thing? Directing film? Definitely not acting. Uh, I think I can oh. both of us. I mean, we <laughs> kind of started, like, I, I think for me, like, really young in, in storytelling. And television wasn't really the thing at the time. Like, for me, it was actually horror movies. Like, when I was five years old, six years old, I would make my mom go to Blockbuster, like, every weekend and rent a bunch of horror movies. I don't know why I was just, like, obsessed with Chucky and The Exorcist and Freddy Krueger and all that stuff. And I was like, I can write, I can, like, scare people, too. So I got into this thing of, like, I would scare my cousins and I would tell them stories about, like, the seaweed monster on the beach and all these kind of crazy stuff. And ended up writing those kind of stories um, when I was young and into high school. Um, and, like, I just got a message, actually, this week from, like, one of my high school English teachers, like, like, I, I knew it. I knew this was going this direction because, like, that's all I ever wanted to do. Um, so actually, when I moved out to L.A., it was to write horror movies like that was the thought and um Luan and I met really like pretty early after I'd moved out there and you know when we started writing together it just kind of took its own direction but I don't know Luan if you want to talk about your earlier days of that stuff oh yeah gosh uh I mean for me it was it was actually was gangster films it was like yeah I grew up in New York City so it was like Goodfellas and you know Casino and it was like this Scorsese sort of like kind of low like street level gang oh I'm getting freezy Uh Oh no! He he said the word gangster, and then he froze. Like I, in a conspiracy here. Oh, oh. I froze. Oh, there oh, we yeah. are. Yeah. There. Okay, you're back. You're back. You froze in a very aggressive position. You like, <laughs> <laughs> really did. That's pretty. Where good. did I leave off at Jaws or Nightmare on Elm um, Street? Goodfellas Casino. Goodfellas Casino, and then I got you know Jaws is my favorite film, and then. I got, I got out here and like, I was like, I really like horror as well. And I'm, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, something I grew up with in a lot of other horror films. But for the most part, I wanted to start writing gangster films. And then when Joe and I met, we kind of were like, oh, what about TV? And we sort yeah, of went was... off from there and stuff. 
I know the, the timing of our like of us meeting was also like we worked so we met at a, a management company. We were assistants, and it was like a company that represented writers and directors and, and things like that. And we kind of you know we we bonded over like we we were kind of the new guys at that job, and we bonded over sports and television and things like that. And it, it got to a point like after a year, we were like. No, we could write something as good as like a couple of these things out here. Um, so we 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 ended up, um, and part of it was like bonding over our family stories. Like we both have kind of unusual families, and I think we we were kind of thinking like, how many guys our age are writing like sitcoms now? It seems like it's all like fifteen, sixty year old guys. So we started writing comedy first, and I think did that well enough that suddenly you know we were getting you know, interest in other kinds of shows. And, you know, if you look at, like, our credits, it ended up not being really, like, sitcom stuff at all. Like, we really ended, never ended up doing any of that. But writing that stuff certainly helped get us into it. So that, that, that started us on the path here. Have either of you ever thought, I mean, looking at your credits, it's, it's obviously very matchy. Um, you've yeah. never done anything not as a team. Have either of you ever thought of doing anything independently, or will you always be together? You know what? This is this will be you saying that Brianna will be the thing that splits us up. Oh, <laughs> we've never thought about this, Brianna. We've never yeah. actually broached this. Uh, we, I mean, I'm we, a curse. We kind of always love the same things, and every time we talk about an idea, it's it's something we we enjoy writing together. So it's always just like, well, if we're going to go out for the show, like it would be good to have both of us and like get our different perspectives. I know. You know, the way we kind of approach everything, and it's true actually of our Cobra Kai episodes too, is we find something that one of us knows intimately and like cares really deeply about, like something that's going to make us cry if we like dig deep on it, and then have the other person sort of serve as like the audience's perspective. Because what you don't want to do is like get so far in the weeds on your own thing that you make it impossible for someone else to act to to access it. Um, so I think when we we find like you know if we write. A story about Luan's family, then I serve as an outside perspective, and vice versa. If we're writing something about about my family, or you know, if we're even even in and just to jump it back to Cobra Kai a little bit, there's a scene uh, in one of our episodes where Daniel's talking about his dad um, and the, the day at Coney Island, and you know, talking with his mom. I, I lost my dad about ten years ago, and writing that scene was just like um, Luan, listen, I'm going to take a run at this thing and, like, dig deep on, like, a memory I have about my dad, and we're going to find, like, something that really, like, is going to make people cry, or at least make me cry. Um, and then Luan sort of serving as, like, the outside perspective on, you know, what what about the story is going to draw people in and things like that. So um, we kind of always look for those things, and I think to this point, it's always been something that we wanted to do together, and it makes us an effective team. So um, never say never. I mean, there, I mean we, have, we have certainly interests that, that are outside of that, but it, so far, so good. Well, I will say um, specifically to that episode, um, Lucille looks a lot like my mom, and I lost my dad when I was 29, and you absolutely hit it. That's exactly what I felt like watching it was, oh, my God, this is Daniel talking about me losing my dad. It was perfect. Yeah, and it's and it's also like tying it into the story and making it feel like all this stuff is interconnected because, you know, the story for Daniel in that episode was also like trying to find the small moments and go back to your roots a little bit in your relationships. And I know it's like for me it wasn't, you know, when I when you think back to the big days with your family or or anything like that, it's it's often not the 
the ride or the crazy thing. It's it's like sometimes it's the small moment with somebody, and that just ties so well into Daniel's story and, and into the episode in general being about like about love in different stages. Um, because we had you know Johnny and, and and Carmen in a certain stage, and Johnny like exploring dating still in that episode, and you had Robbie and Sam in a certain stage, and and Tori and Miguel in a certain stage. So that's just a fun episode when you like have a thematic tie-in, and I think Will and I both brought as much of our lives into that kind of story as we could. And we try to get a lot of those small moments in there. Those like small, but impa- but still impactful moments. Like, you know, those quiet, you know. Yeah. I love that one. So can you guys give any insight onto why there, there is a writing team, like the, the, the two of you versus to those that like to work independently, kind of like Brianna asked, um, you know, we know that John and Hayden wrote Harold and Kumar together. Um, and uh, uh, American Reunion, which they also wrote and directed. Yes, well, I think you get. Sorry, wait, go ahead. Go, I was going to say. Well, I mean, you always for us, you always you get the two set of eyes on it. It keeps you from sort of the tunnel vision of just one perspective. You know, like what Joe was alluding to before. Like it's it's really great to be able to check your idea. Like you have your idea, and you have a sounding board there, and then you know both people bringing their separate ideas together, and when you, it works, it's great. You find, you know, that's why you, you, you know, you're mixing basically, you know, you take powder by itself for iced tea and then you mix it with water and then you have great iced tea or you have great, you know, <laughs> some sort of bomb. You know? <laughs> Josh and Hayden where like have, have worn off on us because we immediately go to like food and drink like they always do. Um, it's, it's also I'll just add like there's something like kind of isolating about being a writer most of the time. And I think when you think about like great writers and the, the way you see them, you are thinking about guys drinking scotch in the mountains by themselves and coming up with like those stories. But for us, it was always just more fun to like have a friend that you can write with. And that's what television writing is about. Anyway, it's, it's more than any other kind of writing, like incredibly collaborative where you're in a room with a lot of different people who bring different perspectives. And I think um, that's just always uh, appealed to us. You know, I, we 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 wrote on our own obviously before we met, but um, there's something about just like throwing ideas up there that makes the whole process so much easier. It, it it almost feels like, especially when you get a writer's assistant involved, like we have in the in the TV rooms where they kind of write down everything you say, and it's like a lot of your job is done for you just by talking it out. You know, you don't actually have to be sitting at the keyboard. And one night, a lot of times, don't sit at the keyboard together. Um, it's it's just that we talk it out and we make sure that all those ideas are noted somewhere. And then when you get to your script, you have it all just laid out. And then it's just a matter of like chipping away at the marble um, because you have you have the whole structure already. Uh, non-specific to Cobra Kai, because, you know, anything season three and beyond, we obviously can't get into. Have you two been involved in any of the virtual writers rooms that exist because of COVID right now for yeah. other shows? It is a thing that's, that's, that's caught on. And I think Luan and I took to it fairly naturally because we are used to working apart. Um, the hardest thing is not having your, your board in front of you, which, you know, yeah. if you've seen what writer's rooms look like, it's a lot of index cards and whiteboards and everything plastered on the wall for every idea. And it's really helpful to, as a group, be able to look at, you know, act one of this story and look at every beat in there and have it all just in front of you. Um, so that's kind of been the hardest thing. But there are, like, really impressive technologies now, like the one, like the Miro board thing is pretty oh, cool. Yeah, those are great. But I also miss people. 
<laughs> you miss the people, you know, you miss the sort of like the, the humor, human interaction of just whether it's the sidebar walking to the car discussing how great the day, the day went or how bad or whatever. It's just all those little things of just literally seeing like, you know, I haven't seen Joe. I, I used to see Joe every day for years. I haven't seen Joe in, I don't know, the longest we've haven't seen, the longest we've been apart. <laughs> I know, months. Like I've been, I've been actually in, in New Jersey at the beach. Uh, like I, I just, I don't need to be in LA right now. So I'm just going to go like hang out at the beach and, and Juan's been in LA and it's just like, we've been talking like this most of the time. So it's, um, you know, that's, that's something we've gotten used to a little bit. And then it's also like, you know, it's not just writer's rooms, but it's also taking general meetings with people. Um, it's, you know, pitches, which the TV process is like really hinges on like pitching ideas to, to people and pitching shows to networks. So all of that has changed in a way that, um, you know, some of it may never go back to exactly how it was, which, you know, for better or worse, but, uh, that's, yeah, that's gotta be really difficult. Um, because you guys, when you guys are getting into meetings, you have to coordinate a certain time away from your families and to get on the camera, you know, where before, like you're already, you know, at your offices and there's a meeting at a certain time, you just show up. Yeah. So before we get into more about the, uh, the writing aspect, um, I want to know what are your guys' earliest memories of the Cry to Kid and what it was like when you landed Cobra Kai? Well, you want to start? Yeah, for me, the my earliest memory was the Halloween dance, and it's coming around. Like him running for his life and running into the fence for me is like, as like a little kid, that was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. I was like, this poor boy is being chased by a group of guys dressed as skeletons, and you know they beat the piss out of him. I was like, that was one of them. That was as impactful as a shark in Jaws, you know, for me. It's like, oh man. <laughs> Yeah, for me, I, uh, and I'm going to upset some people by saying this, I was not born yet when The Karate Kid came out. Um, so my memories were like the, the blockbuster VHS of it. And and actually, weirdly, like more in my wheelhouse was like Three Ninjas, because that was like directly for my age. So I think I probably saw that before I saw The Karate Kid. Um, which just makes you weird. If you've ever had that with movies where you, like, you've seen the, the ripoff first, it's like, oh yeah, it took me forever to watch Jaws. Yeah, it's so weird because you've seen all, you've heard the lines or like you've seen the tropes of it, and it's just like a, a strange deconstruction to walk it back. But you know, for me, it like I I connected immediately because I'm a skinny Italian kid from Jersey who has now moved to California. Um, so there's like way too much of that stuff that's like very close to my life. So still to this day, and I know this will, I'm sure this will come up, but like Daniel is just the idea of writing for Daniel LaRusso just blows my mind. And it's a character that I just have always related to. And I think that's why it's been great that we've been able to write really cool Daniel storylines in some of our episodes. And um, so, yeah, that, those early memories are, uh, are, are tied into everything that happens now. And Luan and I have had the, the good fortune to actually be on set um, for, for mostly for season three, which we really, which we obviously can't talk about, but um, just having all of those, first time walking into some of these sets and the first time meeting some of these people is just like really insane. Yeah. I, I have a follow-up question to that kind of, um, is it safe to say prior to you guys becoming writers on Cobra Kai, it sounds like you guys were both kind of team Miyagi-Do. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. it takes a special, uh, a special kind of insight to see the other side of it when you're, when every movie that's made during that time is like designed to put you on one side of the story 
Um, so it's like the, the movie is not designed for you to see Johnny's perspective. The fact and that you are able to do that is just credit to like the to Robert Mark Heyman and and the the original performances. But you, it's really hard to see that side until you get to where we are now. And also Miyagi. I mean, you have sort of like you know growing up with Star Wars, and you had this sort of Yoda Obi Wan. You have like you had this odd basically there kind of inspiring. So it's hard to be on the team. You know, it's hard to be on Kreese's team at that moment. You know. Yeah. So when you found out, um, well, first of all, how did you get um, hooked up with the big three? How did how did you get that? Because speaking from myself, this would be like the dream job of all dream jobs. How did you get this? Incredible luck, because uh, I mean, if you look at our other shows and I don't, I don't know if anybody's caught up on this, but some of the other shows we've worked on are. Um, the Tick for Amazon, which we grew up with the comic books and the the cartoons, so that was one where it's like, yeah. oh my God, we could be able to do this. And then Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is maybe that show and South Park are probably the two biggest reasons I wanted to be a, a TV comedy writer. So we've kind of had like three or four dream jobs in a row. <laughs> uh, but it's I, I credit um, for this one specifically just our our like good representation from our agents and managers who knew the kind of stuff that we liked and would be good at. Um, so this kind of came up from them because I think we were coming off of, and it also the came from Sony. Yeah, we were coming off of the Tick, which was Come a Sony the show, and um, the people at Sony liked us, and I think they kind of put in the recommendation when Cobra Kai was starting up and just timed out well where the Tick was finishing up, and we didn't know if there would be a season two there, and Cobra Kai was starting, and they sent in, you know, the way the, the way the process works in general is they send in a sample of your writing, so they sent in. Um, a very like raunchy uh, comedy that we had written that uh, obviously appealed to John, Josh, and Hayden. Uh, and so the we kings were, of we, raunchy comedy. Yeah, we got to meet a little bad and, and then just connected with the guys. I don't know, Luan. Do you remember like specifics from that meeting and the like? I, it's so funny. Was, I remember going into that meeting and it was in that huge office. And I remember I remember Josh on his computer like away, and I remember just talking to John. And, and Hayden and I remember not, and Josh not talking to us and I was like oh my god Josh is like, <laughs> like this isn't gonna work I don't then, remember that at all like I'm sure I'm I'm totally I know that's for sure true but um and actually I'll, I'll tell a story that I don't think he, I don't think Josh even knows probably I don't think I ever told him the story but when I moved out to LA I was interning at um uh some production companies and 90% I was of what I was doing was reading scripts and the way they prepared me to like know what a good script was and what a bad script was is they gave me like some bad scripts and they gave me some good scripts. And in my good script pile was Hot Tub Time Machine, which hadn't been made at that point. And it became like my favorite script. And I like shared it with in order to seem cool with my friends back home. I like shared the script with them. I was like, this isn't out yet, so you can't share this with anybody. But like, check this out. It's going to be a movie. And that's just like how I was like the cool guy to my friends. Like, I'm in L.A. now and I can read I can get scripts for things that aren't made. Um, but I. I I love that script so much, and, and going into that meeting, I was like, I'm just going to make sure I don't, like, tell that story or do this uh, in a fanboy way. Um, and because the other side of it, too, is, like, I really got back into the corner because the other one was, like, uh, Harold and Kumar, which was set in my hometown um, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So, of course, my immediate thing was, like, well, there's no White Castle in Cherry Hill. Like, I got to say something to him, right? Um, and I never I never did because I was, like, too – in that meeting, like, we were too amped up on Karate Kid stuff. So, um, I don't know. I guess it worked out. I know. They were, like, our kind of our comedy heroes. I and mean, we didn't want to, like, fan out over, like, Harold and Kumar. I mean, like, 
and hot the time machine it's it's, it's just it's yeah, it's, we, uh, it's amazing yeah for anyone that's interested we did um excuse me we, we did have an interview with josh where he came back and talked about that script the, the script is so good by the way i don't know if whatever you read or what he talked about like he his his whatever draft i read of hot tub time machine there wasn't even um like an explanation about the time travel or there wasn't no chevy chase character in it so it was like a totally different um approach to it uh, but it's incredibly funny and i know he wrote like, probably 10 versions of it but I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that you were potentially like a leaker to TMZ or something um, oh. in advance. <laughs> yeah, I'm very dangerous. That's why like Luan and I were like, all right, we gotta do, we're going to do this interview because we love Peter and Brianna and we really have to try hard not to spoil season three because yes. we are so susceptible to this kind of stuff that I'm like, <laughs> we're, we're very dangerous between the two of us. We're very dangerous. That's okay because we don't really want to know. Yeah. So, I know no. we don't spoil it for you guys because it's oh here's here's one thing I'll tell you about about season three, it kicks so much ass you'll probably go blind. It's so awesome. <laughs> oh <laughs> wow, yeah. um, I like that. <laughs> but that was a great. I remember that meeting though, meeting them the big three for the first time, and that was I remember we left. I was I was worried because of Josh. I, I didn't think Josh liked this, but I was like, this could be great. I was like, these guys are awesome. Like we, like it was, it was home. Like we're meeting friends, so it was really cool. And we had similar backgrounds from where we, you know, from the Northeast. Like, so there were a lot of notes that we were both, we were all on at the same time. So it felt, felt right. And And it's gotten mm, deeper. Like wood, it worked. (laughs) It's really gotten to a place where like there is just such a shared language between us. Like, if you if you stumble into a Cobra Kai room ever, you'll 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 hear like you may hear like a stray like quote from Orgasmo. Or something like some really like thing that like no like not enough people would be able to quote that. So we just think every once in a while there's a moment in the room where it's like all like you know all the right people were in the right places to get to get everybody together. You know you you would hear uh, you would hear blood sport references and things like that. So it's you know it, it's hard not being not being with everybody now because that's like always the, the the best times are when you're in Cobra Kai writers rooms with everybody. But we're always in touch with the guys and there's always ideas floating around we always have like a text chain with them with uh you know ideas for because the hope is that we'll be doing this for a long time so there's always ideas going back and forth oh yeah i i agree with that brianna did you did you ask something uh yeah that was actually my question about how they got the job okay which was fantastic thank you oh no it, absolutely yeah um sometimes and that's the thing that we've learned uh with speaking with a lot of people sometimes it's luck you know, yeah. uh, right place, right time, uh, all that. Now, can you guys take us through like the process uh, of, of writing in the writers' room? Like, how do you guys even decide uh, who's going to write what episode? Um, because I learned from Hayden the difference between credited uh, story by versus teleplay by, which for you guys, uh, you guys did uh, Quiver, Glory, Love, and No Mercy. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of. You know, to answer the second part of that question, it's, you know, the, the guys are the ones who decide uh, who writes what script. Um, mm. And they just have a, such a good hand. It's almost like a, a coach, you know, in, in basketball or anything else. Like, you, you just know when to tap the right person for the right episode. Um, and you get a sense of just what the rhythm of the season is going to be, what the big moments in the season are going to be, and who you want, you know, tapping into those kind of things. And you know, writers all have different skill sets, and I think the guys are more than anybody on, on the pulse of what the people they hire can do. So, 
they're really, really tuned into that stuff. And, and, you know, speaking to the larger process of it, I don't, Luan, I don't know if you want to talk about like how the season kind of breaks out and, you know, how you end up with like story and teleplay, things like that, or like the larger beats of things. But well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for the, <laughs> for that part, you, when we go in, you kind of do a big overview of what the show, what the season's going to be. We dump out what the whole season, like just the big benchmarks. And then we sort of, you know, kind of day by day, week by week, break it out into each sort of episode and each beat within each episode. And then, you know, we have stuff that will kick over to the next episode or the next, this might be right here for now, but you know, everything's subject to change. And then from, I guess right now, then you kind of assign the scripts out and then, you know, everybody sort of works together on the outline and then somebody goes off and um, they outline and on the script, and then you're on to the next one. But you keep the boards up in the room and, you know, some things that we might have wanted for, you know, one episode in this season won't work. So you move to the next one. But you keep all those ideas up there. And the writer's assistants have been great. And they, you know, they take such great notes and they sort of kind of make sure that we, we don't forget anything and that we have everything available to us. Yeah. So it's, you know, I would say that's the kind of overview process of the of how that breaks down yeah. um mm-hmm. it's always evolving i mean there's stuff that gets written on set to um yeah. you know it, it, and there are times where you know because it's a really serialized show in, in the sense that like things that are going to happen in episode 10 sometimes you want to set up in episode one so there'll be times where we'll kind of like backfill things um you know and, and be tracking tracking back on a storyline rather than you know all the way forward i know that's you know something we kind of did in season one was once we knew you know what the that louis was going to mess with johnny's car and things like that then we did some work going backwards to build in louis and make it feel like you know get some foreshadowing in there you know in, in the sense of like what what louis attitude is towards this guy and what his general attitude is and when he's saying the wesley snipes stuff of like you got to do this thing and all that so so that that's some of that is like you find the characters, you know, the deeper you get into the story. And of course you find the characters when you get the actors in. So uh, season one is always the hardest to write really on any show. Um, and that's just, that's it's just, yeah, you gotta get nail the tone in season one. Season one's all, you know, it's always about nailing the tone, setting the table, you know, you know, like another food, another food analogy, you know, what you're going to eat <laughs> set the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you had any, I mean, is stepping into this, 34 years later and uh, being responsible for the voices of two such iconic characters as Johnny and Daniel. Did you have any hesitation, any intimidation, or did you feel like you knew them right off the bat? I think pretty big hesitation in some, in some ways. I mean, like to just to, to go into like what season one was like, I know, you know, the one I got hired off of really comedy shows. I think we had, we had done always sunny in the tick and, um, Gallivant uh, on ABC, which is you know pretty pretty comedic network. Yeah. That like so when we come into Cobra Kai, like a lot of our mindset was you know we want to make sure we're getting the jokes and that we're pulling our weight in terms of the comedy side of it. But um, when you start to learn the tone of the show, like you guys know that that's that's in there, but it's not front and center. So you know, we, we, we really had to, you know, find the right voices for the characters and, and that includes the new characters. But I think, I think what made it easier for us is we have a safety net, which is John, Josh and Hayden being the guys, the curators of all this stuff. So if we miss, you know, they're there to catch it, but um, the deeper we get in the show, the less they have to do catching. Um, so, you know, when, when we got towards, you know, our, our later season two scripts, there was, a lot, you know, a lot more of our stuff is ends up being in the final 
uh, in the final cut of those episodes. Um, and some of the big things in, you know, in season one were there, um, a lot of the, the flipping the script stuff, but, um, but he, he, there was that, that trick of like, okay, how much confidence do we have in like being able to write the, these characters that we just know from the movies? But then you also have a realization of like, well, that's kind of what we're all doing though. It's like, that's what John, Josh and Hayden are doing too. So it's like, it gets a little less scary the, the more you get into it. Um, and now of course it's, it's gotten a lot easier because we have relationships with the, the guys and, you know, when, and, and with Ralph Macchio and like, you can, you can talk to him about the character and you can get answers to those things. So that everything gets yeah. easier and easier. And I think it helps that we're super fans. You know, there were super fans, but we were in our own right, super fans. Like we, no matter when we found the movie and everything, it's still as iconic. Like the movie still hits me today as hard as it hit me when I was 10 when I was seven. Like it's still, it's still great. I still get goosebumps like everybody, you know, and I think that goes for all the writers in the room. I would imagine everybody still gets goosebumps. Yeah. It sounds like you guys have to do some reverse engineering when it comes to plotting episodes out, too, you know, and planting the seeds and stuff. I think maybe we can get into some of the uh, the episodes now, some of the specifics. Sure. In in Quiver, I've always been fascinated with the, um, you know, Johnny having this bigger uh, class and he has to filter out all these people. But the whole thing about getting in rows and lines, like... What do you guys remember about about that dialogue and then like going down and undressing every single kid about their physical attributes? I mean, what what more could you want for an episode is to be able to write that? Like Johnny making fun of kids. It's just like <laughs> I, I think everybody in the writer's room probably got a line in in that episode because there's nice. so many funny things to do with it. Um, yeah, so I, and I know that that's one where like, maybe one of my favorite lines in the show that we didn't write is actually in our episode. And that's just something that happens in TV is like, you're kind of working on everything together. But I think it was like Hayden's line where that is, um, you know, I don't know what I, like when Eli's saying, I, you know, I might be on the spectrum and, and Johnny says, I don't know what that is, but get off of pronto. <laughs> uh, that's one of mine too. Hayden one, but there were, I mean, just a, a lot of fun lines doing that. And, and, um, I don't know everything about Johnny being in the class. And, and what I will say too, is like, that was kind of a turning point episode in somewhat in the way that like Johnny views his roles as sensei too, because, and I feel like that was probably a, a lot to ask, you know, for, for Billy to, to be like mean to kids knowing that like it was going to turn kids away from the dojo. Um, Cause it, and it did and it had to, but like, that's kind of where you had to go with the character in that moment to get it to a place where, he sees the error of his ways and he remembers what things were like for him when he started Cobra Kai. And that helps him sort of change his tune in a way that is still Cobra Kai, but it's Johnny's Cobra Kai. And that's like the first, you know, the first time you're seeing him feel different um, about what he's teaching maybe than what was in the past. Whoop. Hang on just a second. We sure. disconnected. Uh-oh. Did we? Oh, okay. There we go. We're back. Um, I'm not quite sure what happened there, but I guess my internet burped. Okay. No. So. Um, I hope you didn't lose time. As you can see, I can talk a mile a minute anyway, so I can recap everything in <laughs> seconds if you need me to. It's, it's, it's very exhausting, I think, but Luan, Luan slows me down once in a while. He's, he's a little more of the, he's more of the changeup and I'm more of the fastball. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, the, I mean, another thing about that, that scene when he comes in and everybody's for me, it's like the bad news bears, you know, when he's, when he looks at those kids and it's like, 
you guys, this is, and I play, you know, I played football, gosh, when I was a kid through Pop Warner through high school. And it was, you know, you remember when it's a mess. You remember what, like when the coach has to blow the whistle or whatever to kind of get everybody aligned. Cause I mean, as a kid, you don't take it seriously. And so it's like, you know, and Johnny's still kind of like, all right, how, do, how am I going to do this? He said, the only way he knows how to do this is to scream and yell and be mean. Cause that's, that's, that's his only at this moment. That's his only sort of, um, that's his only mode. Uh, his only gear shift. Um, so it was, it was fun. It was a fun one. The, the flashbacks are so critical to that because you, you have to like get to a place where like you're learning that some of this is coming from Johnny's insecurity. And I think, you know, at that point in the series, we hadn't really done that many flashbacks. You know, you had done flashes to the movie, but you weren't seeing new scenes that much. Um, so I think that was a cool opportunity for us too, to explore some of that and get into Johnny's character. And I think it really like, it helps what's happening you know, modern day for Johnny in a way that you don't feel like the flashbacks are taking you out of the present day story. Um, that's always the danger if you're, if you're leaning on flashbacks as, as a crutch for things. Um, so we always are looking for a way if we're doing that to make it really integrated into what's, what's happening in those moments. And even to the point where, you know, he's putting on the headphones because he can't listen to another fight between Sid and his mom. But, that ties in also, and I think it's in the, actually the, the episode right before that, you see Robbie do the same thing. You know, when his mom comes in with a guy, he puts on his headphones. So, like, we're always looking for those things that tie the generations together and make you feel like you're getting the modern story, even if you're hearing, you know, some, even if you're getting into some flashback stuff, too. So. Um, so when it comes to, especially with season one, um there's so many iconic scenes just in that in that one season and you guys got to write what is quite possibly one of the best character entrances ever because you guys wrote enter the hawk so um uh, how did you feel like getting to know that you were going to be the ones to introduce that character how did how did that whole introduction come around Man, that's that's one where like you know it's gonna be awesome, so you can't screw it up because that's that's something that gets talked about from day one of like you're meeting this this kid in in the early episodes and you're seeing what he's like and um, I know for me like uh, and maybe it's part of the reason we ended up writing that episode is like that that character um, you know when I when I was a kid I had uh, like coke bottle like thick thick glasses which is kind of what like turned me to go to blockbuster every weekend is because like that's what i was doing instead of like you know hooking up with babes as johnny would say but uh, (laughs) and it's still like my vision is i don't know if anybody wears glass or anything like that but i'm a minus nine and a half prescription wow like legally blind so that just tells you like that's the kid who's like you can't even tell how big their eyes are because the glasses are so big you're like whoa um so it was like having a a story about a kid who's going something like that and coming around the other side and like changing who he is um for me i this was i guess when eminem was popular because i like dyed my hair blonde was like my (laughs) so uh uh, you know, actually, what I did was I, I put lemon in my hair and I hung out in the sun for like the entire summer because I like promised my dad I wasn't going to dye my hair, and then I did the lemon thing instead, and he's like, "You, you, you cheated." Oh, <laughs> uh, you sugar raid. That's a sugar raid move. Yeah. That's a sugar raid move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably was that. But I, I don't know that that character and that moment just like solidifies so many cool things that that you know give the give John Josh and Hayden again all the credit in the world for setting him up properly and and having the the foresight to, you know, know that you have a, a great underdog on your hands and, and just the arc 
you know, from, and, from where he starts to where he is now. Jake, and, and he pulled it, and he's great. I mean, he pulled that off. He's just so good. He is such a good actor. And he crushed that scene. Um, so when you guys are writing for an entire class, you know, um, uh, of students, how do you guys, do you, or can you talk about the challenges of maybe trying to balance, like, the voices of, of each character? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're when you're doing a scene with a lot of different characters, I think you you got to pick your moments, and what you want to do is you want to make sure the scene feels full, so that you are going to a few different characters, but you don't want to be you don't want to get off track of what the scene is really about. So I, I know we love it when you get to write like a Mitch and Chris thing, you know, where it's they're arguing about wrestling or they're you know who's going to have the ass face nickname or something like that. Um, so it's like, you want to find your little pops of, of, of those students and, and making sure like you're getting a really specific pers- perspective from them. Um, and it always just depends what the scene's about. You know, if, if it's about all the kids feeling good, then, you know, who are the characters you want to go to that, you know, give you that idea in the clearest sense or in the funniest sense. Um, you know, if the scene is about, you know, the kids are all struggling, then who do you go to who is the voice of that? Um, and, and who is the sounding board in that scene? Are they are they talking to Johnny himself about things aren't going well? Or are they talking to someone else in the class? So you're just always looking for, like, the right combinations of, of kids. And there are some kids, you guys know, that that feel like a pair all the time, which is like Chris and Mitch and, you know, Bird and Nate when they're... So, like, you're, you're looking for, you know, people that, that give you sounding boards for your characters and... You always want to make it feel like you're getting a different voice from everybody, and that that can be tricky. But you know, you have to look for the ways, the things that make the character unique to to dig into that. Speaking of iconic scenes, quite possibly the most painful 38 seconds of television ever you guys wrote, oh. and it was completely silent. But I spent the entire 38 seconds screaming at the screen, "Say something! Say something!" Yeah. Were there ever any plans to have them speak to each other or was it always going to be silent in that elevator? I love that you asked this um, because Luan, do you remember the moments in the room when, when this was like a conversation about mm-hmm. this? Yeah. Um, we, this was, this was an episode actually where John, Josh and Hayden were, um, were busy for some stretches where they weren't in the room for like maybe an afternoon or two during this run where, you know, we were working out the details of this episode and we had this card on the board about Johnny and Daniel in the elevator. And the, we were really, we, we came up with this idea that they get in the, the elevator together and they say nothing the whole time. And we were like, is this, is this insane? Like, are we like, is this idea going to get through? Um, like, is there a chance that this actually gets to screen this way? Because there were so many things that you're, you're like, well, you kind of, you like, he should, like, he might say this, like, there's this thing you're going to leave unresolved if you don't say this. Um, so there was always some doubt, but there was never a line of dialogue written at any point. I will say that because when the, the guys came in from their meeting or whatever it was, and we pitched it to them, they were into it. So um, that, thankfully, it's, it's one of those that from the beginning, we knew we were taking a risk, but um, I think everybody knew that. And it, I feel like pays off because it's just like, I mean, they say it all with the eyes. The eyes says the eyes say it all. You don't, you don't need to say anything. They know you're, you're hearing that conversation, even though you're not hearing it just by looking at them and how they're standing. I mean, they, you know, that was the most powerful. 
Yes, it's it's like they forgive <laughs> each other, but they still hate each other. But they understand and they blame themselves and they blame each. And it's just this big giant mess that I don't think you ever could have gotten across in dialogue. But Billy and Ralph do it with their eyes. Yeah, I mean, once once in a while, you you just lean on your actors and you lean on um, your audience. Like yeah, that's that's a scene where if you don't trust your audience, you never write that scene because you you. There's always an instinct in, in some kinds of shows to hold the audience's hand or to tell them what to feel, tell them who to root for and things like that. And what's great about this show is that we don't we don't always do that. Um, there are some of the best scenes in the show are ones where you're feeling for both characters and you don't know who to root for. And you you don't know, um, you know, which side you're going to be on at the end of it. So. Uh, we're always looking for stuff like that. And that, that is true to every character. And, you know, when we see people talking about like who the bad guy in the show is and, and things like that, where my brain always goes to is like, if you're saying that there's a bad guy in the show, then I think you're making the same mistake that people watching Karate Kid originally make um, when, which is like, I, I don't, I'm not open to seeing the other perspective because I haven't seen that person's, backstory or I haven't seen like what made them that way. So to me is like the, what you're really saying when you, you see a bad guy is that my life experience doesn't line up enough with that person to, to understand where they're coming from. So like Chris, for example, is a character that obviously you can cite him as the bad guy. And there are many, many things that you can look at for that, but also how many of us have been, in war, like how many of us know about Vietnam? Like how many of us know about those things that are deep in Kreese's backstory um, that that may like make him make decisions like that? So and I think you can look at that with all our characters. And this show is, you know, becomes about giving you know those 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 backstories so that you can understand those characters. Like all of those buildups for Johnny's character are the things that buy you the elevator scene. So you guys kind of talked about. Um... Well, there's that expression like killing your darling. So you guys talked about like the, the the no dialogue and leaving it in. So in terms of the writing, is there something that you guys really loved but had to kill it for whatever reason? You know, I think there was probably probably I'm thinking like in the school fight, probably there were some things that you you get like more of the smaller fights going on and and things like that. I know there was. At one point, and I don't want to, we can't get into detail on this stuff because there's, there's always scenes that you may use later, but there yeah. was, was a scene that um, gave you a little bit more of Dimitri before that fight um, and, and got, in terms of like his training and things like that, that um, may, have, may have made you see his interactions with Hawk in the, in the fight in a little bit of a different way. Um, so that's the one of one that jumped to mind of, of like, and it's, it's honestly always seems like that where it's, you know, a scene that is not critical to the story. Um, and it's usually, you know, a character that is, that isn't like the A story in that episode or the, the main story in that episode. And so things like that fall off. But, but what I'll say in general is, uh, 99.9 of the percent of the stuff that gets cut gets cut for the right reasons and yeah. it's you know it's about the flow of the episode sometimes it's about tone um sometimes it's just like how much time do we have how long have we been away from a johnny story you know all of those things factor in and the guys um just have their their finger on the pulse of like what you know when when something gets cut out and and when it doesn't and there's there's really nothing that 
that I would look back on and say that was a mistake to cut ever at this point. So hmm. I, I keep coming back to like iconic because you guys wrote so many like amazing things and and as this is blowing Thanks. up I, well, I, as this is blowing up all over Netflix the the scenes that people keep talking about were yours it's the school fight it's the um the Johnny and Daniel you know here's the payoff we've been waiting 2 years for and you guys got to write that so how in depth was that fight actually on the page um Compared to, uh, because like okay with the school fight and Johnny and Daniel's fight, um, and there's one kick that Daniel is the only one who doesn't do it. Um, uh, you know, Miguel kicks Robbie into the banister. Robbie kicks Miguel over the banister. Johnny kicks Daniel into the TV. It's the same kick. Did you guys yeah. intend that, or was that Hito? Or uh, no, I think that's that's usually Hiro doing that stuff, yeah. and and they're so just uh, tuned in to like what what's needed story wise. Um, in, in so they're they're always aware of like when it's the right time to you know do those little rhymes. Um, but I think for the, the Johnny and Daniel fight, I think you know we the work was done to get them to a place where you can have them fighting because like it's, it's Daniel's daughter in there. Yeah, and he, it's, weird, but he, like all of that stuff factors into it. And, you know, we don't get into detail too much on, you know, what kind of kicks and things like that. You know, really what we feel responsible for is the shape of it. And, you know, if a character has an upper hand in a certain moment, you know, you want that because that stuff is tied in the story. Um, and, and also just how the fight ends um, yeah. You know, you only have a little bit of time in that fight because you have the kids right there. So you want to you want to get enough of that fight where you're feeling like I'm getting some of this rematch stuff that I've been dying to see for these all these years. Um, and you're seeing that they still got it, and they're seeing that they're you know a pretty good match. And then you know just just at the point where you want to see where it goes next is you know where it, kind of where it has to end. Um, because that's not where we are in the story is seeing who wins that fight is, is not really the answer to anything in that episode. So, um, but the fight itself is, is needed. Um, yeah, I don't know. Luan is like, when we're writing our fight scenes, yeah. cause I feel like that's basically, I know the school fight, there's so many elements of that. The too, school, yeah. The Johnny and Daniel, I remember we went, we went back and forth a lot because we were debating on who would, who was going to win it. You know, like who would win that fight? And does that kick mean Johnny won the fight because he grabbed him at the end? Like, you know, it was like, there's like a little internal debate, you know, debate between Joe and I was like, well, you know, it seems like Johnny had the upper hand. It's like, well, but actually Daniel had the upper hand. So it's kind of, that was sort of us working out our process, but it looks like, you know, from what we see, it's like, it was a pretty even fight. Even though between us, we I have a version of who I think won, and he has a version of who he thinks won. <laughs> we won't reveal who was on what side. Reveal. But also, it's like ultimately, and again, this is like our safety net thing. Is like ultimately, it's not really our decision. Um, the, the guys get to make that, but we get to to steer it in the direction that we we think. So you know, everything in in our script is a version of a blueprint that we think like this is the best way to build this thing. Um, and sometimes a lot of the time, I'd say most of the time, really the guys agree with all that and it's just adding, you know, little details onto it and, and um, you know, finding things like that, that are the changes. And, you know, every once in a while it's a big change, but usually that's a discussion that we all have as a group um, together that, 
you know, if we're, if we're really changing the structure of an episode or changing a scene in a major way, we're always involved in that stuff because um, the guys are just incredibly collaborative. And, and we got to do, you know, and I would say like, you know, the whole room and we, you know, I think we did the work that season to get them to that fight. You know, like we saved it enough for that fight for it to work. Between the two of them. And then I think it paid off, but you know, they didn't. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm glad they didn't. My my opinion is that if they ever do get into it, when they do get into it, neither of them will win. I think they'll just beat each other to a bloody pulp, and somebody will have to stop them, like the kids did. <laughs> um, yeah. that, that's my opinion. So it always depends what kind of fight it is, too. Like the you know, an apartment fight is one thing, a school fight is one thing. You know, it, you know who's turf for you on? All, all of those things are are factors. Uh, when you guys are uh, writing the script, uh, can you talk about? You know, incorporating lines from the original movies or, you know, little Easter eggs that were kind of written in. Like, in my opinion, I feel in Glory of Love when Sam and Robbie are getting thrown out of the skating rink kind of mirrors Daniel getting thrown off the soccer field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we always look for things like that. And, and sometimes you find it naturally, like that a scene is the same. And then sometimes it's just like lines. And Luan and I are, are guilty more than anybody of like trying to make a little wink to a line, an original line. Uh, now, if you guys have seen enough of, our, of the episodes we've written, you find plenty of, of, of that happening. Um, but it's always just the balance of, you know, what, you know, is this going too far? Is this, you know, the right thing coming out of this character's mouth and all those things. You, you don't want to do it where it's not in line with the character that's saying it. Um, but, but a lot of times, yeah, the scene shapes, I mean, the, listen, the Karate Kid's an incredibly you know, smartly written movie and well-structured. So if you're doing a scene that mirrors a scene in the Karate Kid, you're probably doing something right because they had it figured out. So um, I think we're always okay with that. I don't know. How long is that? Yeah. I, I think we, I, I think there's, you know, there's a balance to it, right? We don't, you don't want to do too many. And I think well, luckily so far, I think we've been able to strike the kind of, you know, the right balance of it, but it's, um, like Joe said, the movie's pretty perfect. So anytime we, have the ability to kind of call it back or call a line back. And, if, you know, that's a, that's a nice moment. It's a nice moment to be able to do. Uh, just in, in general, I've kind of always wondered this because, you know, continuity is like a big thing to me. I'm really stupidly pedantic about canon. Is there a written show Bible or is it all in their heads? I believe there is a, an equivalent of a written Bible um, somewhere. I don't even like if I think if we searched our emails along, we would probably find it. Um, I, I do think there is one, but I will say the primary reason for it probably is um, if you bring in like a new writer or something in a future season, um, you want them to be able to catch up and know what what, um, you know, you just want to have those things handy it's not something that I know. I know you guys would certainly like to have your hands on it because there's just like all there would be all <laughs> little tidbits. Most people, it's would not really a useful document outside of like, you know, uh, okay, have we said this character's birthday in the show? Things like that, where you you want to make sure you're not going against things that are there. So it's ideally you want to have a document that you can search for things like that to know. But but you know, to be honest, a lot of the writers have been on from the beginning. I know Luan and I have been on from day one. Michael's been on from day one, Stacy. Um, so, so there, it's very rare. You'd be hard pressed to find something for us to put in a show that like somebody would, would flag that like, Oh, that person's not that old or like 
something like that. Um, I know you guys will probably be able to find some if you haven't already, but um, usually between between all of us, it's going to be tough to tough to end up doing that. Okay, um, Brianna, I got like a couple more questions before we can uh, get into like uh, listener feedback, the ones that you collected. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Now, I don't know if this is going to be spoiler, um, so just, you know, if you guys cannot answer, I totally understand. Uh, we don't, it doesn't, they don't deliberately say it in um, No Mercy, but do we know if Tori is a student, an actual student enrolled there? In, uh, at West Valley? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think we, I think we do say, I mean, I don't know if it's explicit in, in, yeah. in that episode, but. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think we're in spoiler territory there. It's like, you know, it was the first day of school for everybody. And Aisha does say, yeah, she does say that Aisha does say early in the episode is like not showing up for the first day of school is not a good sign. So yeah, Tori, Tori is, uh, enrolled at West Valley on that, on that first day for sure. And she chooses to go, uh, somewhere (laughs) other than class. She wants to have a very special first day. Yeah. I think at the same time, isn't Miguel texting Sam? No. Miguel's texting Sam. He calls Johnny. No. He's calling. He calls Johnny. Yeah, he so, calls Johnny. Yeah. So there's a few things going on in that scene. Um, my my last question for you two before we get into the, the Twitter questions is really kind of silly. Um, so Hawk has his, like, here's Johnny moment with Dimitri, right? Yeah. But that's, like, two seconds after being halfway down the hallway. So I just have to ask, does Hawk have magical teleporting powers or did he dig tunnels under the school? <laughs> the video game's coming out. They got powers. Hawk He's up. got wings. <laughs> yeah. Hawk moves fast. Um, and I think he, I know at least the way I know my high school, like I could get somewhere pretty quick if I had to, uh, knowing, knowing the shortcuts around that. Place. <laughs> You can have like I think in certain labs. I remember this in my high school. You can cut through one. You can cut through a lab and get to the other side of the hallway. Of the it, it, the geography would work. I think so too. We don't. We don't know for sure. I mean, it's the. What is always one of those things in, you know, when you're shooting like a, a huge set piece like the high school, you have to like when you're when you're doing kind of breakaway scenes from that. You know, you're kind of looking for the ways to make the geography make sense because sometimes the location itself doesn't have the ideal way to do it. So you're, you know, it's, that's something that could solve, you know, the, the directors and um, everybody involved in location scouting and things like that um, are usually like really on the ball and as much as possible, like trying to make things make sense. And then sometimes in the editing room, like it's one of those things where it's like, well, we don't need to see him running this whole time. Things like that. Like people, you know, people will buy that he gets here or he doesn't, but uh, I know you guys are, you're, are on the details, so you got to keep us in check on stuff like that. <laughs> Brianna? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like Sam is 14. But anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my, my last question. I mean, f- first of all, like I, every episode is great, obviously, but uh, Gloria Love is one of my favorites just because it gives us the cries. It gives us the laughs, many of which is also from like Johnny's, you know, dates. Right. Uh, so I, I guess I have a, like kind of I don't know if it's a two part question. I have kind of like two questions kind of relating all together. Um, the return of Judy. I, I kind of want to know how you guys thought about bringing Judy back for 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 one of the dates. But but during the bar scene, we also see Johnny composing something to Allie. Mm-hmm. 
And then, obviously, one of the last few sequences in No Mercy, we see that phone request. Can you guys talk a little bit about about that and the idea of incorporating that? Yeah. I don't, do you remember the Judy thing, Luan? I think maybe it was Josh had that idea. I jo- yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Was Josh, there, yeah. there were versions of Johnny dating where it was just, like, one bad date, but there was just so much fun to be had with, like, the different kinds of people on the app he would meet. And it's just, like, so... So it, it, when it got to that place, it's just like we, we just went full in on, on the comedy of it. And the, the Judy thing felt kind of perfect because you needed something that felt like an ending in a way that was like, OK, Johnny's headspace at the end of seeing the Judy thing is like, oh, my God, screw this app. Like, yeah. but he's still in the headspace of like, you know, thinking about, you know, what dating was like in the old days. And and that those are the kind of thing. And he expresses that to Miguel. You know, yeah. obviously, that's where you get the bump from. Um, which, you know, was one of our favorite things in that, that episode is, you know, Johnny telling Miguel about like, you know, you, in the old days, it was like you, you know, you, you bump into the girl pretty hard and then you buy her beer, like that kind of thing. So, um, for her to sort of steal his move on that, um, you know, we, when we knew that we wanted the alley message to get sent and there was just a lot of debate about like, would Johnny really send it and, and things like that. And, the the compromise in some way was to like get this bump where he would send the message and then we kind of i think we may have reverse engineered it then where we wanted mm-hmm. the bump just to not be out of nowhere so we made it like the bump itself had meaning because you know it's it ties into like what johnny is looking for in in, in a woman and and all those things so and i know once in a while we'll see like fans and and people talking about like oh my god she was perfect for johnny like <laughs> I will say, I will say my my favorite part about that that scene is like we get to do a little bit of a wink to coming to America when he was date when he was went on all those yes. dates with Arsenio Hall. Yes. and so for us it was like that's one of my favorite comedies of all time. So like it was just, you know able to kind of you know a little wink. That's little that's wink. my favorite comedy. So so was there any like did you guys think about having like rapping twins at one point at all? Like can we get some of that? <laughs> Never say never. Um, never. Oh, okay. I just saw in the, I just saw in the chat um, someone someone referred to that character by her name Melissa, which mm-hmm. I know we had in our script, but I don't even realize like you guys really dig deep to be. I don't know if it's in like subtitles or something. Remember the the the, the woman who bumps into Johnny's name is Melissa, but I don't think we ever say it in the show. So no, it's it's in the credits and um, uh, Jenna right. Shaw. Yeah, I interviewed her too. So yeah, there you go. Props um, props for that. That's why I always read the credits because you'll learn names. That's how I learned Nate was Nathaniel. Yeah. You know, everyone just call, kept on calling him Asian Bert, and you know, me being Asian, I had a problem with that. And I was trying to tell people he's got a freaking name. Use it. Right. Yeah. We um, always use names in the room. I will say that there's yeah. there's no one on the show that we refer to as like this person. So we have names for everybody. Everybody's got a name. That's awesome. Oh, we may have to reach out to you when we want to know some names. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're still trying to figure out which Paul is which, because apparently we have like four or five of them. There's a Paul in the game. There's a Paul on the show. There was a Paul in season two. There, Yeah. Um, yeah. But I have to I, – I, I lied. I have one more question. I have to know, <laughs> okay. was the White Snake video you guys' idea? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Vanessa said that was like a last-second edition. Yeah. It Well, it was – I know the shoot itself was pretty run and gun. But the Johnny Dream being a music video was like a long-standing idea. I, I I will say it's so hard. I wish I could tell you guys like whose ideas were what, but it's so hard once you're in the writers' room and doing the episodes and stuff like that. It's like it's one of those things where like someone will pitch like 
oh, we should do a Johnny Dream about Carmen. Oh, my God, we should do, like, a music video. Oh, my God, we should do this and this. And, this. and then it becomes, like, eight people's thing. So it becomes, like, borderline impossible to track. That being said, I'm sure someone, you know, I'll get a text from one of the writers saying, like, that was clearly my idea. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> It'll probably be Hayden. <laughs> it, it may be. Um, but that's, that's a sequence that just, like, man, that's, like, a perfect thing because it's just, like, it hits on – on all cylinders, and um, it's just like you're in you're in Johnny's head for a little bit, and it's, and it's wonderful. Uh, so, Brianna, if you want to uh, grab up um, those other questions, I saw one in the group from um, uh, from Christy. She asked if the Ginger Twins have uh, name or the Ginger, yeah, Ginger Twins, the brothers. Do they have? Yeah, names? we be we uh, the big red and little red. I, I think they have. Red. Okay, so I I you exposed me because I immediately lied. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so we, well, we call them big red and little red. Yeah, uh, the reds. Okay. I, I do think they. I think we have. They have names that we may refer, but I don't want to. I don't want to say them in case it ever gets to like a, a thing where we're using their their names as something okay. in the show, just in case. But um, we do call them big red, little red. And I don't know if they have. But so those those are the uh, the writers' rooms names for them. So. Um, okay, so uh, looking at Twitter here, we did get some questions submitted um, from Carrie. Unfortunately, I think I stomped all over her question. Um, what does writing a fight scene look like? Uh, do you envision specific moves or more that you you know what you need the fight to to do to support the story? Yeah, it's more the latter. Um, but there are times where there may be a specific move that we are trying to look for, but, but even when we do that, that's, that ends up being a conversation with hero about like what the specific thing is. Um, I know he, but Johnny, but Johnny for the headbutt on Graham, that was a specific thing to do. Right. Oh. Yeah. We wanted to use that there. Yeah. There's definitely, you, you, you want to make sure at least that the things that you're calling back or the things that are necessary in story are mentioned in the script um, and that go through all the way. But, but usually it's, you know, we're, we're more focused on the, the plotting of it and, um, you know, not the, 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 not super specific, but, you know, once in a while, like, uh, I remember we, at some point here, told us, like, stop writing, like, Superman punches into things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that kind of thing we'll do because us not knowing, like, none of us knowing karate, it'll be like, okay, a cool visual, like, he jumps and he does, he does the Superman punch, and here's like, like, stop doing that. I'm gonna, I'll get you, like, a cool thing. Like, don't worry. You don't have to, you don't have to. So. Okay, uh, next question is from Ellie M. Um, your favorite characters in the series, favorite characters to write, and your favorite character interactions. Oh, boy, that's a good question. Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, do you have a favorite uh, character to write? I know, because we, we sometimes will, like, trade scenes that we write um, in, in, like, our process of things, and we'll, like, split things up. Well, I know your, I feel like I know your favorite character to write. And I would say, I would probably say Dimitri. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, he on that one because like that's that's Dimitri is, and I, I mean I told you guys the story about like the, the glasses and all those things. Like my attitude mm. is, is like very um, sarcastic and like I'm all, like also a huge Game of Thrones fan, so I'm like looking for pop culture thing. I know a line that Luan and I did write for Dimitri was the um, that the, the hooker run. Where it's like I got my ass kicked, I gave him my money, like that's how hookers live. And then Miguel being like, "Come on, you don't know him like I do." And then Dimitri going like, "Yeah, that's hooker talk." Uh, but that's that's how I joke. Um, I can tell you that. So like I'm I'm in Dimitri's head a lot for those things. Um, and it's I don't know, it's fun to be 
writing a character that you feel like, all right, he can reference things that I would reference. Like I play Dungeons and Dragons, and so there's just like like a lot of overlap with that with that character for me. So you're the necromancer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Michael are the ones in the room that are like, okay, guys, we got to talk about some nerd shit now. Like, what? Is yeah. So they, they we call it the nerd shit. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Love so it. I, I would probably have to say, I think Miguel. You know, that seems like the safe answer, but like, I don't know, something about like something about that underdog kid, something about him coming up and you know going through it and getting you know literally going from a zero to you know. Just winning the tournament and just being badass, and he's got, yeah, he's my favorite. I think. And in and in terms of like character interactions, I know another character I love writing and and one that you get the best best interactions from is um, Amanda herself. Oh God, yes. I know Courtney. Courtney gets mad like at us specifically because we'll sometimes write lines for her that are really like tongue twistery, um, where she's like saying a bunch of things in a row like very quickly. but that's just like something really fun about her character is she like she's just a very fast thinker and is is on her toes and like knows what she believes in any given moment and um, her also being a little bit of outside perspective is just like a very a very fun character to write so um, that's another good one and then of course like writing Daniel and I know I, I talked about that before but um, I just like feel like that connection with with that character and and you know some reverence for the Karate Kid and now like. You know, knowing Ralph a little bit just helps with all of that stuff, and just makes you feel, you know, all all those things. And the Robbie and um, I say the Robbie and Johnny scenes are always they're, yeah. they're always great because it's this you know the spawns are trying to reach his son, and it's so those are sure. my you know my probably yeah. favorite scene with those two. The chopper keeper, uh, that that's a good line. That was us. I remember. Yep. That one. <laughs> so I kind of want to piggyback on the the Amanda talk, but do you guys find it challenging writing for women? Do you do you ever reach out to a family member or like a, one of the female writers to ask how how do I convey yeah. this from a woman's perspective? I mean, I think it's a, it's a case for almost every character. Is like there's there's always going to be blind spots, and you have to like challenge yourself as a writer to be able to do it. But you have to know also where your limits are and know where your strengths <laughs> that, and also know you know if you're we, we never write all of these scenes that we write in all the episodes. It's never just our eyes on those things. You know, um, there's Stacy um, and Matea and it's just like there, there are some really great people who have eyes on these scripts as well. Um, and it's this, you know, to a, to a lesser extent um, is like, you know, it's, it's almost like my version of nerd shit. <laughs> and I know it's just a different thing. It's like, I, I look at it as like, of course, you know, we can all, we'll all do our best and, and write these things. But if there's someone that knows better than we do, then all, you always want to be able to lean on them and, and draw from your life experiences and, and draw from theirs as much as possible too. Uh, next comment on Twitter is from uh, Logan Castleman. He just said, so they are who I have to thank for the best fight scene in any TV show ever. <laughs> well, and, and Hiro and Janelle and, yeah, and uh, the stunt team and John Josh and Aiden and we'll, we'll take actors. As, as much as you can give us we'll take were you two in the hallway when that was being shot when the oneer was being shot no. were you there no we weren't there for that one um, we like like you said like a lot of our stuff is and, and we'll have to come on after season three uh, with you guys there's a lot yes. of uh we were on set for most of season three stuff, so we'll be able to give you some insight into into those things. But um, you know, we get a lot of um, 
I think we were with them maybe a week or two after that scene was shot because John was showing us yeah. the oneer on his phone. Yeah. Because uh, we were there when they were shooting some L.A. stuff. You know, when Johnny and Miguel are doing their back in black, um, you know, driving the, the car. Those things. Mm-hmm. So we were around, mm-hmm. we were around on that day um, doing some of that fun stuff. But um, but I remember John showing us on his phone and being yeah. like, what? Holy shit. What? 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 Yeah, there's. He needs to upload that. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of pictures <laughs> of him showing people, you know, that on his phone, like all everybody <laughs> huddled around him watching it. So, mm-hmm. um, next comment or question uh, from Happy Harry Hashbrown: uh, Why wasn't there a Sharks versus Jets dance pose before the Rumble? <laughs> As coming from Gallivant, where we started many years ago. It was thought, you know, we thought about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we're always looking for for the musical element of it, and it's. I know we we always reference for the shows like some of the touchstone references are like the Outsiders and Warriors and things like that because there is just a certain element of like, you know, the, the gang thing happening, and um, and I know we're we're always looking for like clever ways to wink at things like that and and feel like so if you're getting those feels um i think it's a good thing uh as long as we make you still feel like you're like really in our in our show and not on a different on a different planet that's always the the balancing act so sam reading a book that ralph macchio played the main character of in the movie was your idea <laughs> Listen, once in a while, we're going to get some of that stuff in there. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the fun. That's what's fun. <laughs> there's always a question of like, and I'm, I, we, we, I don't even, I don't even know if we know the answer is like, you know, is to what extent is Cobra Kai a shared universe with an, either like another property or like with Ralph Macchio movies or like with Three Ninjas? <laughs> so all of those are viable questions that we don't have answers for. Um, but keep keep an eye out uh, always for. Stuff like that, because any chance we get to be a little like clever and shitty and and winky at things, we're, we're there's a good chance we're going to take it. Yeah, because we're think, huge fans of all that stuff too. We're yeah, huge fans of the outside. Mm-hmm. The fourth wall is still standing, but it may have a few cracks in it. So, mm-hmm. um, and last question is from Dorothy, who's in the chat. Um, what scene or dialogue in the show do you wish you wrote? Um, or came up with because it was just amazing. And I have a jokey one. Yeah, you got one on. I have my jokey one. You're a big man, Dad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. The Rollins are carrying the. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> God, there's there's just, there yeah there's so many that. Like I, I know I mentioned the one earlier that the uh, you know the get off the spectrum kind of thing. Um, but I feel like, I don't know, I'm thinking of, I guess I'm thinking of some of these, like, Robbie scenes and, like, the wheel technique and things like that, that, you know, looking at it in, in the show, it, it, like, makes perfect sense, but it's also, and, and, like, the cement mixer and things like that that are just so clever that, you know, when we're pitching on, like, training and you know what what johnny's idea of a lesson and things like that could be the fact that we sometimes end up with something like that that feels so far off of where you would start which is like okay he's teaching you know front kicks or whatever like so for us to be able to get from that to like a a, a metaphorical you know thing is just always 
it's one of the cool things about having you know so many smart writers in a room is you you whatever your your starting place is you end up in just like a, a such a you know a different a different amazing place that you never would have like on your own you never would have been able to do it and that just speaks back to like Lou and I writing together and being in a writers room together those are scenes that are borderline impossible to come up with if you're by yourself because it's all about like building on everybody's ideas. Um, I have another question since we're kind of talking about characters. Um, I know that John has answered a, a few times now on Twitter that there's enough hints. Um, at one point, it's called right out, but Tori's last name uh, being Nichols. Can you give insight on when characters are being introduced and how you guys go about uh, picking names like Mitch and Chris, who are the two leads from Real Yeah, Genius? exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it all depends because like, sometimes – um, Luan and I, if we're writing characters in the script that, like, you know, it's sometimes you don't talk about what the name is going to be of, like, that Melissa is just named after one of my friends, so like, mm. it's sometimes you're doing that or you're doing a family member, or yeah, like, Graham is my brother-in-law's brother yeah it's Graham. yeah, <laughs> yeah, so some, yeah, exactly so sometimes you find um, and in, in a weird way, it becomes like a little trick for you as a writer, too, is like, if you can pick a person who feels similar to that character, it makes it easier to write in some ways, because sometimes you can just think about, like, how your friend would react in a situation um, and, and a little bit write to that. So, you know, a lot of times um, it, it's a thing that gets figured out usually in the script stage, because when you're presenting a script, say, to, you know, the studio or in our case to John, Josh and Hayden, the character's name is their face in some ways. It's like you don't you don't get to send a picture of them like who you're who you're imagining all the time. Like sometimes you do, but a lot of times you're you have to rely on that character's name and your description of them to be the thing. So, you know, that's how you get a character like who owns the cement truck yard or, or who owns the cement truck <laughs> name is Cutter. Because that tells you who that character is in a very like in the quickest possible way. Um, so, you know, it's something like that actually does get a lot of thought gets put into that, um, usually, and, and it becomes helpful for us as a group to be able to remember the characters and, and all of those things. So we, we always look for, for ways to do that. And, you know, once in a while it is like a wink, you know, like Mitch and Chris, um, but other times it's just that you're trying to get them, you know, the, the, the face and the name to match and help out casting when they're casting this character as well. Um, along those same lines, real quick, um, I don't tell us because we haven't been told yet, but that leaves Dimitri as the only main cast member whose last name we don't know. Does he have one? I think he may from um, our original season one stuff, but it hasn't been said in the show. Um, and I don't. What I will say is, like, if if there is one, it's not definitely not one we can say. I think right, um, yeah. But um, it wasn't Tanzit's last name, was it? No, I mean, I, and I don't know if there even was one. For that. <laughs> uh, I know you guys Tanzit <laughs> on that thing because that's that's also a thing where, like, once in a while, um, we'll like a character's name will be something for so long, and then you have to change it like the day before you shoot that character for some reason. Like the, if the person you cast has the same name as the character, sometimes you won't change it, or um, or it's too close to another. You realize it's too close to another name that we have to use. Like, so it, it's a weird thing where, like, you know, even when we were writing 
stuff knowing that we had changed the, the thing to Dimitri. Like, sometimes you're still calling him Tanzit when you're pitching things for him. Um, <laughs> so it's just, like, a, a weird thing. But, yeah, I don't know if um, I don't know if the Dimitri last name is in the world at, at, at any point. But I would expect, you know, if we do as many seasons of the show as, as we'd like to, that you will um, see more of his family. Uh, I mean, it's that's true of, of every character that... You know, you want to you want to go into their their lives a little a little deeper. Um, so if that's some, something like that's always on the table. Okay. Uh, two more questions for me, and and we'll end it right there, yeah. so we're not taking uh, up more of your oh, time. This is great. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you. Oh, okay, okay, great. Well, um, we'll, we'll kind of see how how it flows. So Owen Morgan is is in the stream. He's he's always uh, he's a big supporter. Yeah. He's been on you know our streams a, a number of times. Um, so he wants to know if Bert has a last name, and then kind of uh, Luan going back to Graham. Uh, we have one of our group moderators is is from the UK, and he's wondering the the character of Graham, like the the idea of making him a Brit. My brother in law is British, and his brother's ah, name is Graham. Okay, so it's not just the name. So it was like the whole <laughs> the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. like, oh, British guy's like Andrew. No, Graham. His brother Graham. Yeah, it's just okay. Like- <laughs> Yeah, and I think, I mean, that character, too, is, like, something like that that seems so minor, is just, like, making him a, a British character, like, becomes a big deal in, like, the way you view that character and his interactions and him, like, kind of being shitty and, and you know, sort of, like, cheating on Carmen. Like, all of that factors in in a, in a fun way, and it, and it also gives you, like, just, like, some... The way Johnny interacts with him is just makes it more fun because it's like he's calling him mate and like and just Johnny squeezing his hand really hard and it's like all that all that stuff like specificity is your friend when it comes to things like that. Um, to answer Owen's question, uh, we we cannot reveal that because oh. just, you never know. You never know. All right, Owen, we'll give you a cone for that question. People get that joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Graham, the actor who plays him um, had mentioned that there was a line about a man snake mm. that was cut. Did you two write that? Um, I don't know. We, we had a lot of Graham stuff, and we also do a thing where uh, – actually, this happens less on this show than some other shows we've worked on, but we do alts, which is you know sometimes in – um, in your screenwriting program, you'll be able to like, like um, add a different line, like where the same line mm-hmm. is. So a lot of times, like if there's a joke about something, we'll put in an alt next to it because then we can let the guys, like John, Josh, and Hayden, pick which joke they like the most or which version of the thing they like the most. So there are sometimes there's just like an endless amount of those that Juan and I have that we love, and you know it it doesn't take too like we feel okay doing that most of the time because you know how it doesn't take too long to read four or five jokes and sometimes you find like a great one that you aren't sure that the guys would like but it does become hard to shoot all of those so it's really about like picking one so i don't know offhand um i i'm sure there we had a lot of good great lines because we enjoyed writing that character i remember we had a ghost run i remember we had a run on the on the ghost thing don't ghost there i remember we had a run (laughs) Uh, yeah. yeah, we had like a very fresh lines for that because it was so funny to us, but um, but it also, like at a certain point, it changes the tone of that scene if you do too much of it. Um, but we definitely had like like Johnny saying, like, what What do you mean? What, what are you talking about? Like ghosts or something? Like, you could scare her? Like, yeah. <laughs> like thinking that he's going to like scare her, like not knowing what ghosting was. So, um, yeah, we, we always have we always have fun with, 
with those kind of things. And uh, it's always a joy when we get to write Johnny montages and Johnny 80s music videos and things like that because we have a million ideas for that kind of stuff. Uh, Brianna, anything else uh, before we wrap up? Well, Ellie is asking actually a really, really good question in the chat. Um, how do you brainstorm character arcs, and can you talk about writing the complexity, like Hawk's badass front, but weave in the vulnerability mm. in between? And I, 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 I mean, I think that's a, a fantastic question because you see that with Johnny, and you see that with Daniel, and like every character has this front, and then underneath, how do you express? Both because it you do it wonderfully. Um, yeah, that's a good, that is a really good question. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it, you know, I'll I'll say a word that always is like a big word in the in the Cobra Kai writers room mm. is headspace, and I know you guys have heard us say it, and maybe you've heard John Dosh and Hayden say it. It's one of the main the things that we're always talking about is tracking where a character is in that moment of their story. Um, so, I mean, Hawk is a really good example of a deeply complex character that, you know, you want to be able to show both sides of it. So when he's having, you know, a hard time with Moon or something like that, you need to be able to see Eli underneath that. And that character, more than any other, it's it's on the sur- the complexity is on the surface because he has there's like a duality to him like you are doing a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde um, but that approach applies to every character um, I think that you can say the same thing in some ways about Daniel and his you know Daniel has like a hot temper and he you know he's prone to making mistakes like he'll you know if he raises the rent on you and things like that he 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 needs like Amanda or someone to pull him back and he needs to go to Miyagi to like find balance because he's making those kind of mistakes. So, um, you know, you want to look for that for every character, um, that there, there are two sides to their story as well. And that's just like the theme of the entire show in some ways. And I think one of the, one of the, you know, fun things for us is when you have, you know, the choice, you know, it's always the choice that they make to do that. It's that moment where Hawk makes that choice. It's that moment Miguel, you know, he makes the choice when he's in the pool to keep to keep swimming, to keep going, to you know, flip the script, to do whatever. It's like everybody, we all start the same, you know. But it's like, what's that choice that you make to be badass, to go on and do this thing, or to kind of stand up on, you know? And yeah. that's for us, that's the fun. It's to find that moment to make that choice because at the end of the day, everybody's mm-hmm. we're all the same. Yeah, <laughs> to that point, like I sometimes think of the um, that the Game of Thrones scene where Stannis has. Um, Sir Davos and the Red Woman, like, mm. on each of his shoulders. And it's just, like, I sometimes go back to that because, you know, it's, in some ways, it's so, like, on the surface of, like, angel, you know, the you got the, the angel and the demon and, like, a the god and the devil on one shoulder. But it is sometimes helpful to think of a character as having those two things, you know, in, in every scene that they're doing or in every trip they're making, like, which side of that is winning in this scene? Um, and sometimes that, that allows you to get, you know, Johnny into a, a, a headspace where he's going to fight or, and then, and then later in the episode, you may have him in a headspace where he is having like a really a father son conversation with Miguel. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, it's a great question. And the answer is just like, 
know your characters, know the worlds. And if you do those two things, then you're usually going to make the right choices um, and be able to show a depth of character. Because if you if you love the characters as much as we do and as much as all the fans do, then it's not hard to get to dig into um, what their lives are, are like, you know, even if you're not seeing every scene who, of them. Who came up with the idea, or can you give insight on the idea of putting Samantha in a Cobra Kai t-shirt in Johnny's apartment? Yeah, I think we you, we definitely wanted like something like that. That if Daniel sees that in conjunction with all of the other things of not knowing what happened to her the night before, um, of Johnny trying not to let her to let Daniel in the apartment, like it's it's like a little bit of a perfect storm because um, it's almost like that's the that's the headspace that it that it requires to get Daniel to do what he did, which is like kicking the door in a way that you can argue is strike first. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that probably. I mean, Johnny like really pushes him enough where he's kicking, but you know, when you get Sam, the Cobra Kai t-shirt, like that's the thing that maybe gets into the next level where he lets the temper take over. As I was just talking about, it's like the sort of duality of, of that character is like sometimes the anger takes over and he says something to Robbie that he may end up regretting, you know, that, that he, he kind of, he kind of, pushes Robbie away in that moment where he might not have done that, you know, unless that perfect storm happened. It's almost like an emotional bottom for Daniel at that moment too. It's like, what's the worst thing you can think about for for him or his daughter? It's not only to be at Johnny's apartment and now she, you know, she represents everything that he's been fighting against and hating his whole life. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's his bottom. That scene, um, I'm actually really, really glad you brought it up because that is, um, I'm a huge Daniel fan, obviously, <laughs> um, always have been. And um, I consider Ralph to be like the be all and end all of knowledge when it comes to Daniel. But that particular scene slamming the door in Robbie's face, Ralph was like, no, Daniel wouldn't do that. And I'm like, oh, yes, he would. So did you guys have to argue with Ralph about that? Because that's completely in character for Daniel as we know him. Yeah, I mean, I know, like, it, it, we have our um, we have our bodyguards, which is John, Josh, and Hayden, who uh, <laughs> take on those arguments for us. Um, but you know, it's you always want to hear every side of that thing because, yes, I mean, Ralph's been living with this character longer than any of us, and we have you have to make sure that if you're doing something that could be argued is out of character, that you are motivating it, um, and you know, you're not always going to going to have like the fullest agreement on those things, but um, everybody knows that like all our hearts are in the right places. And I, I, I do think, um, you know, we, we feel like we, we got it far enough where he could, he could do that um, to, to get in there. But um, I don't know. You all, you, I, it was something that's, that's was debated really the whole, the whole way through and, and not in a bad way at all. It's just like a, that's a creative conversation that you want to be having. Yeah. Well, he did slam a door in Mr. Miyagi's face, yeah. so there's basis for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Right. he's got he's got that he's still got the, the, yeah. the Italian temper. So uh, whenever whenever we're writing Daniel scenes, I tell him like, listen, I'm writing Italian. Like you're gonna tell me I don't know how to write this? Like Italian kid from Jersey? Yeah. I got this. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I can say that because like we we've now spent like a lot of time around Ralph, and um, you know like we're like friends now it's just kind of like crazy thing like i get texts from ralph sometimes about like hockey and um right our teams are playing each other in the nhl playoffs right now so i 
he's maybe not talking <laughs> to me for that reason, but we do have we have a bet going also on that. Um, so there's like it's it's kind of surreal to like be able to have a real like, deep creative conversation with someone that's like you know also you're you're friendly with and you you know exactly where they're coming from. So it's, we can understand. I mean, uh, John, Josh, and Hayden. Uh, John Morso is very approachable on Twitter. You know, he answers a lot of questions. So. Um, totally get it. Being able to get into conversations yeah. with him. Um, all right, Brianna. Anything else? We um, we're in, into like an hour and a half. I, I, I could I could talk to you two Same. for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, this is you're you're just fascinating. You can give us insight into mm-hmm. all kinds of things that I just love it. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, we we love this. I know. We've kind of been in the, uh, the the Josh area of like not being that big on social media and things like that. But I think, you know, now that, that everything's on Netflix and we're getting new fans and all that, um, certainly you guys, people can feel free to um, to reach out to us and, and, and we'll we'll try to answer in, in non-spoilery ways and, and try to give insight into some things where we can. But um, I mean, the fans like and just a credit to you guys for being at the forefront of this of the fans have been incredible in this move to Netflix and none of this happens without everybody pulling in the same direction and just like all the fan art is amazing. So it's like, we're, we're in the same boat as you guys were just massive fans. And, and we feel like we're just getting, you know, to do the best job in the world and, and write some of it. So. And thank you for having us. Cause this is like, you know, it's a dream for us to talk about, you know, Cobra Kai. This is awesome. We love this. I've been wanting thing. to talk to the writers, but uh, I felt like, you know, I had to get, you know, get enough interviews to kind of show that I'm legit. <laughs> anyway, you guys are great. So, if you guys awesome. do welcome that interaction, uh, do you want to throw out uh, your Twitters or your Instagram if you are okay with people following you? Yeah, I'm at um, at uh, at Here Goes Joe on Twitter, and uh, I know you guys can probably mm-hmm. find us through this stream or whatever. If you guys, I don't know if you guys want to post those kind of things, but certainly feel free. I don't, I don't do Instagram. Um, I have a Facebook that I check occasionally, but literally ninety percent of my stuff. Twitter. Is- finding fun Cobra Kai things to, to, to retweet. So, uh, or more rounds. I think my Twitter handle is loopy seven one eight. Um, that's where I mainly kind of check the stuff. Instagram's all pictures of my kids. <laughs> and that concludes our conversation with Joe and the one want to thank him again so much for the opportunity to pick their brain. I, I think the four of us, I think we're all excited to get back together. Like after season three to talk more about what's going to happen. We, we don't even know what's happening in season three. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I could have kept talking to them forever um, and cannot wait to talk to them again. I mean, since we saw it, do you think it would have been spoiler to ask about, like, hey, whose hand grabbed this eye? You know, would that be? Sp- <laughs> I guess that'd be spoiler. <laughs> I think that would be a spoiler. That would yeah. Be a spoiler. Yeah, okay, fine. We'll leave it to speculation. You know, is it Johnny? Is it Crease? Is it Daniel? Is it Chosen? Right. Yeah. Uh, many options to choose from, really. Uh, one of my non-Cobra Kai-related fun fact that I learned was uh, one of Luan's favorite comedies is Coming to America, and that's my favorite comedy of all time. Yeah, I thought that when 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 he when he mentioned that, I thought that was great. Yeah, because uh, me and Marvin, we kind of talk about it uh, like on Twitter and stuff. Um, I have the Prince Akeem and also Sammy uh, Funko Pops <laughs> as well. Well, now you'll know to look for those little nods to coming to America in all of their episodes from now on. Yeah, and, and now that Luan mentioned it, I kind of see Johnny's you know speed dating. I guess it, it very much is, is similar to uh, that scene in Coming to America. So 
I definitely see it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. it helps when the writers tell you that that's what they did. Yes. Yeah. Just to get some confirmation, kind of like the, you know, I mentioned Sam and Rob again thrown out of the skating rink. You know, that, that that's a pretty that was pretty close, right? Like that's almost like obviously that's what it is, and we just got confirmation from this interview. Yeah, yeah, because it's you're out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, that yeah th- that concludes uh, this episode. Brianna, where can people find you? And do you have anything to uh, tease uh, that's coming out soon? Um, Brianna twenty five on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Fanfiction.net archive of our own. Um, is still working, you know, to get footage for for uh, the Miyagi video. Um, have a few different ideas for things uh, floating around in my head. Um, and one thing that I really want to do, and um, started plotting it out and, and writing it last night, is just do a video, honestly, about what we owe YouTube, because I think we actually do. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That is very interesting. Did not see what that one coming. No, uh, because I'm generally very mad at them, but I got to thinking about it, and I, I think we owe them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, well, for me, um, if Twitter is your thing, I am on Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod, uh, Instagram Cobra Kai Podcast. Uh, we don't talk about it enough, but we, you know, it's in the show notes, but we do have a group page. Uh, if you just type in Cobra Kai Companion, Companion spelled with a K, you should be able to find us. So if you're looking for other hardcore fans that, um, you know, you want to challenge each other and see who has the most knowledge, we deep dive into everything. Uh, everything is shared there. Articles, we all read it together. Videos, we watch it together. I like to think we're pretty different from a lot of the other groups there. But, you know, you can come in, check it out. If it's not your thing, you can leave. That's up to you. But I, I just I don't think I promote the group enough uh, just because, again, I feel like if you want to find a group, you will. But I know there's people that if, if they knew that we had a group, they would have joined. You know what I mean? Right. But, you know, the, there are others that are a little bit easier to find, a little bit, you know, the way that you set our group name up. Um, only the hardcore fans are going to be looking, so they're the only ones that are going to find us. That's right. Uh, so we have a merch store. If you guys want to check that out, got a few different designs. Um, uh, you just go to Threadless and look for Cobra Kai Companion. should be able to find it that way, too. Uh, so that's it. I want to thank everybody for your guys' continued support, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com.